Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. So it feels like it's a million years away, but we're already coming up on back to school season. I know it's mid-July, but uh, it'll be here before we know it. And that's why I am happy for today's show, because I have Juliet Kayyem on the show, and I have all sorts of questions just about getting back to school and going to restaurants and all that kind of stuff. And Juliet is the perfect person to answer that. You probably know her most as national security analyst for CNN. She's on CNN a fair amount, especially during this crisis, sort of talking about how do we respond safely to a crisis like this? What does a coordinated effort look like? And she's got the background to justify that. She was assistant secretary for intergovernmental affairs at the Department of Homeland Security under President Obama, worked on the H1N1 uh, virus, BP oil spill, big logistical issues like this are what she deals with all the time. She's also a senior lecturer at Harvard's Kennedy School, and she's a columnist for The Atlantic, author of Security Mom. So she's somebody that looks at these issues all the time. Her most recent column in The Atlantic is looking at uh, whether or not we'll have a vaccine and should we even be holding out hope for that. So, you know, I have a lot of thoughts. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you sort of know that I definitely have been playing this virus more conservatively than a lot of people, I think. I have been staying home as much as possible. I've been doing grocery deliveries. I'm really not getting out and socializing at all outside of my family unit. And I know that for a lot of people, that's maddening. And they want to go back, whether it's to work, to socialize, to restaurants, bars, movie theaters, theme parks, whatever. There's a lot of people out there that are ready to, to restart their life. I'm not quite there yet. I'm happy just hanging out, talking to you guys on this podcast twice a week. But, uh, you know, I feel like the next big decision is going to be what happens with back to school. And we've heard from my daughter's school now that they are planning, at least as of now, five-day-a-week in-person classes. That's their goal for September. Whether or not that changes between now and then, who knows? And I'm very conflicted about it because, again, we haven't really left the house since March. I've been doing the errands when they've had to be done. My children have stayed home. So there is this question of, do we risk it? How important is an in-person education? Can a, a screen-based one with Zoom and you know emailed worksheets and that sort of thing, can that replace a social education, especially for my daughter who's going to be a second grader? We don't know. We haven't made that calculation enough because I don't feel like we've had enough data. And I do feel lucky to live in the Northeast. I'm in the Boston area. And to know that we have succeeded in really reducing the caseload here. But obviously the rest of the country is is in really rough shape right now. And you realize we're all just so interconnected that it doesn't take much for a virus that's raging out of control in California or Texas, Arizona, Florida to make its way back here. And especially when you're talking about second graders, how closely are they going to be able to follow these rules about hand washing and staying away from each other and wearing a mask all day? We just don't know the answers to that. And so it's been really tough to try to figure out how comfortable we are with, with her returning to school in the fall. I really don't know. And I want to talk to Juliet about that because she studies this stuff and she's also advising the state of Massachusetts on their reopening plans. 
So I wanted to hear it straight from her. What's she thinking about? And she's a parent too. So that certainly plays into to her decision. And I think like me, she's she's played it cautiously as well. But I know a lot of people have felt invincible in this. They feel like it's not going to happen to them. And I don't know. I'm trying to balance being realistic with being practical and safe and looking at the information that's coming out. And we're in this information void too, right? That doesn't help. We don't know that we can trust the information that's coming from the government. And it's tough to know what's objective fact anymore. And so for me, I play it safely. I don't know if that's the right decision, but I wanted to talk to Juliet about it. And we had a great talk. I recorded this on Tuesday. Of course, you know, news changes every day. So if there are things that already by today feel outdated, this is how things felt on Tuesday. And the other piece that I was excited to talk to Juliet about is just her work for CNN, realizing that most of CNN has been operating remotely for the last four months. And so what does that really look like as the person on camera, but also technically, just how do they pull that off? So this conversation is one part TV nerd geeking out about how you do a remote hookup and one part concerned parent, concerned citizen, just trying to figure out from somebody smarter than me, what's the data telling us? What's our society going to look like in another month, in another three months, another six months? Who knows? So here it is, my interview with Juliet Kayim. Hi, Heath. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. You know, we're at the beach for the month. I just need a change of scenery. It's a gorgeous day and I can't complain. It's It's been nice getting away. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And there's a, one of my kids sailing now. Another one is at the beach. I'm a surfer. Another kid's a surfer. So um, it's just it's it's just being near water, yeah. you know, after being cooped up since March. And, you know, let's still quarantine. But at some, you know, at another house. And it's just been great for the kids because, yeah. you know, there was not much to do um, otherwise, but here they can sail and there's no, you know, they're out in the open and stuff. So it's been great. Yeah. Having that outdoor time, I feel like is key. Like it's just, it's key. Yeah. I mean, otherwise these kids are going to just die. Right. We haven't gotten as stir crazy as I could imagine we would if we were in the city. Yeah. That's great. And you can do all your, you can do all your work from there pretty yeah. easily. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Yeah. That's I mean, that's, great. yeah, I'm, this this podcast started just because, you know, I was a TV producer for 15 years and all yeah. that work went away, uh, <laughs> you know, with this I pandemic. Know. So it's been just trying to figure out how to stay busy and creative and, and all of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I part of what I wanted to talk to you about, I think, is just sort of, you know, pandemics for dummies, I guess, because yeah. you've been like immersed in this, you know, for I mean a large part of your career, right? So I first heard of... COVID-19 or whatever it would eventually be called, um, January 2nd. And I remember that because there was a news article that was sort of vague enough that people like me who look at, you know, global risks and what's coming down the pike and had, you know, and think about pandemics as a as a threat to the homeland, because that's, you know, homeland security is my background. Sure. Uh, just sort of thought, you know, this is weird because the story was weird. Like China was claiming that there were lots of people sick. China seemed nervous about what was happening, but then was claiming no one was dying, which seemed like, well, why would a country be nervous if some people get sick? So then when I started to follow it, I probably I'm a big 
Twitter person. Um, and that's sort of my form of communication. You know, I, I'm on TV and radio and stuff, but, but I really like Twitter. And I just started to sort of follow it or repost it. I remember in late January, one of my followers said, enough with this virus, like, because yeah. I guess I was getting a little bit obsessed, obsessed with it. Fast forward a little bit. And yeah, I had done a lot of pandemic planning for the department. I had been assistant secretary during H- at DHS, Department of Homeland Security, uh, during H1N1. So I knew what the overall planning would be. And I don't, you know, any administration would have been shocked, right, by this. This is a 50-state crisis, you know. So there's, you know, there's things that are new to it that I'm going to give, you know, any government the benefit of the doubt at the beginning. And then as we started to see more of the cases in March, I remember this moment. It was Saturday night. I want to say it was like the 17th or 18th of March, maybe a little bit earlier. And um, I, uh, what happens with someone like me, since you do media stuff, so someone like me with CNN, I, um, I'm sort of a feast or famine type analyst, right? Sure. So like when they need me, they need me 24-7. When they don't need me, you know, leading up to a campaign, for example, I, I, I could not get called for two or three months, right? right? So, um, but they basically have people like me on contracts so that when the stu- bad stuff happens, and I remember really pushing them, and I don't normally do this, I remember sort of pushing them in February, you know, through various producers, like, are you guys paying attention to this, you know, sort of kind of knowing what was about to happen. And then in early March, two things happened on the media side. I mean, one is The Atlantic. I had been, I had long time ago, I'd written columns for the Boston Globe, and then my career just went in different directions. And The Atlantic, which I think has become this unbelievable platform for yeah. some not tuning my own horn, but for some of the best writing on the pandemic, plus everything else. It's vital right um, now. Totally. It's vital. I mean, you, you go on there and, you know, they, they, they're, they've been way ahead on a lot of issues. They're doing their own reporting and tracking. I had a friend who was an editor there and um, I had written a few things for them, but nothing serious. He said, hey, we see what's happening. We'd love to just get you on board, you know, weekly, once every two weeks, just help guide us, our readers through this what's your first column? And I said, well, I know the title. And he goes, what? I said, America, you have no idea what's about to happen. So that Mm. was my first column for them, like maybe March 5th or 6th. And then on the other media front, CNN says for analysts like me, they normally do stuff at home um, from not from my home, but from a studio in Boston in in days when we went to studios. And um, they said, you know what? We're actually doing a lot more coverage of this. Why don't you come to New York? And my schedule was open enough that I could go to New York and just be in in New York, where most of their shows are anchored from. So I could just be sort of slotted in. And I remember it was a Saturday night, Friday night, sorry. And Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta were doing probably their second town hall, global town halls on this. They, they are now like on the 20th and they had me in and alone. And it was just the two of them. And I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm a planner. So that's a distinction. And, the, and I remember Anderson Cooper said, well, what do we do? And I said, shut it down. And he just looks at me and I go, shut it all down. And wow. he goes, all of it. And I said, that's our plan, right? You just got to give the virus. You got to make sure the virus doesn't have anything to live off it. Right. And I'm not, I'm not off air more than two minutes that my mother calls me. She goes, you sounded really harsh and scary. And I was like, mom, I don't think you know what's about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
And, and in your mind, when you say that, is that like shut it down for two weeks or a month? This is where an administ- This is where you would want ha- wanted to have a, a White House. So, what became clear to me, a functioning White House, what right. became clear to me is uh, there was no in the parlance of crisis management, there was no incident command structure. There's no sort of head person that was guiding the states, the homeland, um, in terms of what they should do. So our pandemic planning would have never envisioned a sort of you know, what I what I came to write as our articles of confederation response, like every state on their own, yeah. you would have had a unified approach of which everything would have closed down. Just look at Italy. Everything closes down. And I was thinking four to five weeks. That was sort of the trajectory for Italy. Um, just stop this thing dead in its, its tracks, because by mid-March, we knew that there was significant community spread. And actually, when you look at what was about to happen to New York in April, it was already all over New York. They right. just weren't, uh, you know, seeing it in the way that it ought to have been seen. And so that was really, um, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, and But, you know, going back, what if we had, right? I mean, March 20th, maybe early May, mid-May, we would have done what the EU did, which is slowly start to open up, get committed to masks. And by mid-June, we would have felt comfortable talking about going back to school. And we certainly wouldn't have been where, you know, you and I are talking in, you know, a, you know, mid-July or right. raging pandemic with only, I didn't check the numbers this morning, but with only six or seven states in sort of the blue, so to right. speak. Yeah, no, it's insane that just, I know, and it feels like that we got to a point of reopening just because it was like an arbitrary time on the calendar. Yeah. And then there was Easter. just, this, yeah. yeah. And, and then just this momentum of like, well, now we're open, so we can't close back up. Yeah, I sometimes wonder, like, what were these, what were some of these governors, let alone the president, thinking, like, I always quote a doctor I heard on TV, I forget which doctor it was, but, you know, as he said, this is a stupid virus. In other words, it's not terribly sophisticated, it just wants to find live prey um, and move to the next one. So right. your your goal is to just isolate yourself from being that unwitting uh, uh, carrier. And so all we needed to do was play smart. And the thing that makes me optimistic is we kind of know what to do. It's not rocket science. I mean, you know, building a vaccine is right. right. We need to protect our vulnerable populations and wear masks and not go to bars and, and, you know, and, you know, work from home if we can, like all this stuff that's going to change the way that we live. And we understand that, but we also see Europe and, and China and and certainly New Zealand and see, you know what, this this is this is doable. And I think, you know, this push to open up, like, was it like this weird sort of American exceptionalism? Like they just thought like, OK, we're America. Viruses will treat us differently. Right. Like it's just it was the weirdest thing. And I, I do I what I hated during that time period. So this is like now April, May is. People like me, you know, in the way that Trump is so successful, and I think the media, you know, often likes it this way is, you know, he creates these, you know, binary worlds, right? right? So it's either you're for the economy or for isolation or you're for life or for death or, and it's not like people like me who, you know, and I say, like, I'm just a, a consumer of health intelligence. I don't create it. I just see what all the smart doctors and others are telling me. And then you plan how to open schools or close retail or all the things that I do. And so, you know, people like me were, were viewed as sort of unsympathetic to what was happening, you know, with poverty and income inequality and unemployment and be, and, you know, and it sort of became this thing like, well, we have to open up because our economy sucks rather than 
there's no way our economy is not going to suck until, right, until we get a handle of, of a virus and a pandemic. And the case in point is, from what I can tell, a vast majority of working parents are not going to be able to go into work because we couldn't stop the we, we didn't focus on stopping the virus. And most school districts are in abundance of caution, probably going to be remote all fall, despite everything that you're hearing. Yeah. So it's just, you know, I don't know what their long term thinking was, but, you know, the shame on them. Well, and it's interesting, too, because it feels like this crisis has sort of laid bare all these other issues that have been there under the surface for a long time, you know, just access to health care and, and tying your health care to employment and then employment goes away. And people yeah. lose their health care. And now yeah. you have this virus going rampant. And, you know, you mentioned income inequality and just, you know, I feel like part of that pressure to reopen was just people, you know, needing to put food on the table and, and willing yeah. to risk it all just to get a paycheck, you know? Right, right. And I mean, but I think I think what that meant, though, is that we we probably needed, you know, to just throw a lot more money at 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 people for the short term, because there was no way that you could, I mean, you just, you know, opening up the economy when we did ended up giving us the worst of all worlds. I mean, I don't know about you. I remember like my, like the other day, I was just like, I turned to my husband and I know it wasn't a waste of time in Massachusetts because we're, we're doing good. But like, you just feel like, Jesus Christ, was that whole six weeks just a waste of our time? Like, because you see what's happening in Arizona and Georgia and Florida. And what you said is, you know, a crisis. I I was teaching crisis management when all this was happening too at the Kennedy School. And my line is always a crisis hits a nation, you know, as it is, not as you want it to be. And so everything that was wrong with America uh, gets exacerbated. And I think, you know, I do think that the Black Lives Matter movement, while different, was also, you know, a uh, a reflection of the disparities in healthcare access and and healthcare uh, for minority communities, and I think it also is a statement about we can't trust government. I mean, look at us. I mean, yeah. you know, you know, we have a president whose campaign manager is you know throwing Dr. Fauci under the bus on Twitter. You're like, are we five years right. old? Like, I mean, it's just it's crazy. Well, and so that kind of the partisanship of it all, and yeah. sort of the 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 weaponization of facts as a, as yeah. a partisan issue. And, and as you said, sort of that binary choice of just it's black or white and there's no gray area. Like just thinking about sort of the role of, of public communication during a crisis. Like, yeah. I don't know how, how important do you feel that, that, that good <laughs> communication and, yeah. and reliable information is and, and where are it we is, right now? It is, you know, I spend a lot of time, I mean, as you know, you know, with mayors and governors sure. and, and sort of on, on, in terms of trainings and stuff, because most mayors, you know, probably came out of a city council. So, so I always say as a leader, in some ways, crisis communication is relatively easy because it's simple because all people want is numbers and hope. That's all they want. And I've learned this through every disaster numbers about, you know, how much PPE is there? How many people are sick? How many people are dead? How much is open? How little is closed? Like, I mean, in other words, people just want reliable data. They, right. they know what it means. And then they want hope. And that hope is, here's what I'm doing. Like today sucks. Tomorrow may even suck. But here's what I'm doing so that a couple weeks from now, it will suck less, so to speak. You know right. what I mean? Sorry for the French. But um, that's all a leader needs to do. And then you let the experts explain why masking is good and whatever. And, 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 and you have a president 
who does neither. I mean, this is what's remarkable, who lies about numbers, lies about our capacities, lies about our preparedness, lies about who's sick and who's not, lies about basic scientific truths about this uh, virus, and also makes it all about him. It's not about hope. It's about him. And one of the interesting things about being a national security analyst for CNN um, during this period um, of Trump is how quickly things become political because they try to protect people like me. I don't want to be on there. I mean, I'm clearly critical of Trump, but I'm not a political analyst right. who, you know, whose job is that. But it's it's impossible for me not to be because there's nothing else to talk about. I yeah. mean, in other words, when you talk about the White House, you're not talking about policies. You're talking about him. Yeah. My husband is a is a good metric for, you know, me. This is stupid. But, you know, like there's, a, you know, I have a brand, which is, you know, I'm not going to be that person yelling about Trump needing to, you know, go to jail. Like, I, that's just not me. I mean, I have my own personal feelings. But my husband always, if I if I go too far on a ledge, he's like, bring it back, bring it yeah, back. Yeah. And I was like, OK, you know, so that's good. Well, yeah. And th- just that CNN piece of it, too, of, you know, he, he's he's turned this whole thing into this, you know, fake news narrative and just I don't know. I, I find it really disheartening to see these, you know, these these videos from Costco's or whatever with just people that, you know, that they they put yeah. their Trump support. They equate that with not wearing a mask. And you hear that in these videos, you know, that kind of stuff that just simple, obvious public health messaging gets wrapped up in. Yeah in campaign rhetoric and it's, yeah. it's just so and, unfortunate but here's the good news and this is what it's worth reminding like okay yeah there's the crazy people on twitter and the videos that are being made the most recent polling from the new york times is you know god bless america right i mean 80 percent of americans still want their information from um and, and this is where independence you know if you're a republican you got to be nervous about where independents are on this you know but republicans are here to you know want their information from science and health professionals do not have confidence in what donald trump is telling them so and I think you're seeing it played out in reality, right? I mean, in other words, we can open up and you see the pictures of the bars with the 20-year-olds and stuff. But for the most part, I don't know how you're living your life. We're in Massachusetts. I, there's still a big confidence gap in my mind yeah. about what I want to do. You know, I'm a 50-year-old woman, very healthy, three kids. And I could, pro- if I got this, I could probably fight it. I probably would be in, in the easy pool. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, you always hear these horror stories. But what will I be like at 60 or 70 or 80? We have no freaking idea. And yeah. so I, my confidence, knowing that the government is not working and knowing that our capacity is limited, you know, both for a personal protective reason, but also it's kind of my responsibility to all of our responsibilities to just, you know, do no harm. Right. right. And so it's one of the reasons why I haven't been on a plane is not just because no one's asking and everyone's, you know, gotten to Zoom and that's comfortable, but also I just feel personally invested in not adding to the risk, yeah. you know, and and until we figure out, you know, whether we can get our act together. Yeah. And so what is your routine kind of look like? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, are you are you going out shopping? Have you gone to restaurants, yeah. that sort of stuff? Well, you're me. Um work gets crazy when yeah. things like this happen. Sure. And and that was a really hard as a mother and and um because just as my kids were probably needing more time from me because they're home and the disruption I have one in college who had to come home and uh uh two in high school, you know, I was you know starting at six in the morning 
you know, with a CNN hit till, you know, evening with the CNN hit. And then I was teaching. I do a lot of corporate advising. I do a, a, a lot of public advising. I, you know, have all the, the writing and stuff. And so for about eight weeks, it was it was it was crazy. And so I um, and I stayed in. I was, you know, locked down. I mean, I would we would order food. We have a set. We live in um, Cambridge. So it's a 7-Eleven down the street. So yeah. if I ever needed anything, I put on a hat glasses and a mask. I was doing everything, protecting anything that sort of, you know, had over my ears because we didn't know at that stage. But now uh, when when it was clear that when I'm in a good mood, I say reimagine 2020. When I'm in a bad mood, I say 2020 sex. But when it was clear that 2020, we should just essentially write off on yeah. normal behavior. Uh, we came out uh, to the beach for a month. I just needed to get my kids outside and so I work, I do everything Zoom, everything, you know, CNN now does everyone through through Cisco, through Skype. I do podcasts like this. Everything is at home. I exercise a lot. I'm outside a lot um, in that sense. I go to markets. I have been to one retail store, so I'm doing most of my shopping online. I, I need a new running shoes and that's hard to do yeah, uh, sure. with online. And then um, I went to my first restaurant. We're at a beach community in Rhode Island. I went to my first restaurant outdoors on a balcony on Saturday night with two girlfriends. I did not like it. I I would have much rather we get some food or order in and sit outside in the backyard at this house. Like it was because you were so conscious of everything was different. So the menu was uh, a barcode that you put in your phone and then the menu opens up um, on your phone, your mask, your you have to do a self-assessment before you go in. Drinks are, you know, the menu is limited. You're you're just very conscious, like, you know, honestly, like, can I hold it until I get home? Like, yeah. like no food is that important to me. And if I can be with other people and, you know, and have that intimacy, then I don't need to do it in a public space. Right. Well, you mentioned going out with friends too. Like how, how big has your, how big have you allowed your circle to get at this point? Cause I'm still very nervous about that. Yeah. So we've done six was the biggest outdoor patio, two, two, two chairs, plastic cups. We brought our own alcohol and then she had like prepackaged snacks. So yeah. like, you know, peanuts and different bowls and stuff. And that was great fun. I mean, that was, you know, because you didn't feel like, I mean, yeah, it was different and there's no touching or anything. And, you know, that was a couple hours. So six is the largest I've ever done outside of my family, three couples, um, most, but we've done two couples a bunch of times. And then my kids um, are, my old, my kids are older. So they, they both can control themselves and they need it. Right. Yeah. I mean, in other words, and I'm their mother. I mean, that's the hilarious thing. Like literally they like roll their eyes when I go through it. It's like, we know what you do. Like, right. and so they're allowed to have friends outside and back, or we live near the Charles river, meet friends there. And I, you know, I trust, I mean, I, you do have, you know, when your kid is, you know, almost 20 coming home from college, there's like, you just have to have confidence that, that they're not going to expose you or expose themselves. Right. But it's hard to know. I mean, that that's sort of the thing that, that gets me is I, I feel like a lot of people have, have fallen into this mindset of like, almost thinking of this more like a, like a social disease or something, you know, like, like, you know, well, I know that the people I'm around have good habits and, yeah, but they did, you know, but they did go to a store the other day and they were at this restaurant, the, you know, like, I don't know, just that I, I feel weird trusting like even family, just like, I don't know yeah. if I want, you know, an aunt or uncle coming over right now. I don't know. That's right? just me. No, but. no, no. I know. And that, first of all, 
there's no right answer. So right, that's the course. other thing is like, I mean, another. And so what I tell people, you know, part of my whole theme is like, you know, Homeland Security is not that different for, from the home home and the homeland. It's like Security Mom is my book. So it's the same thing I advise CEOs because I do a lot of corporate consulting that I advise people, which is there's three things you need to do when you think about what you're doing, right? Yeah. So one is you want to minimize contact intensity. That's the most important. And that really has to do with what's the nature of the contact. So I don't get bars. I don't get gyms right now because they exist for contact intensity, right? right? So to me, subsidize those industries and let them wither for a while. There's just no question about it. The second is you want to maintain reasonable contact numbers. So, so that's why, you know, people talk about six or six feet yeah. or, you know, being with six people. And this is just a numbers game. Five is different than 50, which is different than 500, right? right. If you're with 500 people, one of them is more likely to have it than with you with five. And then the third is to maximize your own mitigation strategies. So, uh, and that's masking and, and working from home and all that stuff. And I think if we just focus on those three things, we are like literally 90% of the way there. As yeah. I said, the virus is not smart. It's just we haven't had a unified approach to it. And this industry is doing it. That industry is not. This retailer is doing it. That state is not. This city is doing it. That county is not. And I think what you're starting to see as we talk in mid-July is you're starting to see a unified national effort piecemeal, right? right? I mean, we now have 48 of the top 50 cities now under all, all of them under mandatory mask rules. I, someone did a calculation for me that 65% uh, uh, of the American population is now under mandatory masking rules. So in some ways, while Trump dithers, the reality uh, is moving forward, even though we have these huge, huge omissions, yeah. uh, like Arizona, Florida and stuff. Florida, man, Florida. <laughs> it's a whole different, uh, yeah, I mean, tens of thousands every day, right? I mean, it's, it's 10, 12,000 every day. That, yeah. that Governor DeSantos, you know, I, I don't feel sorry for him. He does look like someone who realizes how badly he screwed up and all he knows what, what to do is to, is to double down. Yeah. That's all he knows. But he, I mean, uh, there's evil because of bad heart and then there's evil because of your failure to recognize your 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 dangerous mistake and he i think he falls into the latter yeah it kind of drags the whole country down and changes our perception and yeah. you know in everyone's eyes and in the, in the world's yeah. eyes that what's going on in the u.s well the world is so right yeah yeah i mean our, our passports have no value right now you can right. go to it's six just, countries it's crazy yeah um i i want to talk to just sort of it, we, we've been touching on this but your latest uh atlantic column talked about sort of that that false promise of waiting for a vaccine that, you know, yeah. that day may never come or when it does, you know, the vaccine might not be as potent as we want or just like and people may not take it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, so I have been thinking a lot about the period that we're in or we're going to enter. And so in most disasters, you you have the bad thing happen, what we call a boom, just a generic bad thing happen. And then this is called right of boom. So imagine the bad thing happens and then what what falls to the right of that. So the so normally you have what's called response, recovery, and then resiliency. So response is, you know, the cops and the firefighters and the emergency managers and the doctors, they save lives. And then, so think about the Boston Marathon bombing, right? So, you know, that's immediate. And then you capture the culprits and then a city goes into recovery. Yep. Uh, and in most crises that occurs sequentially, your, your enemy is gone. The terrorists have been captured. The hurricane has moved through, all that stuff. Not here. We are living with this virus and we can. And I think this mythology of the vaccine is is stopping us 
from thinking about how what are creative ways that we can adapt to uh, living with the virus, which other countries are doing. So I've called it adaptive recovery, which is it's not really recovery. It is adapting every day and not the new normal, but what I call the now normal, because you, you could go to school one day and then it's closed the next because we're, you know, we're testing better or whatever. Who knows, right? Um, I know it's really hard for people. We've got to get our head around it, that this is what life looks like for, you know, until further notice. And if you think, you know, if you think, okay, well, I'm going to go from isolation to vaccine. Nuh-uh. I mean, this could be years. AIDS never got a vaccine. Spanish right. flu Never, there was never a vaccine. Just kind of faded good, at some point. Yeah. yeah. The good news is we're getting better. Well, we will get better at testing. We, there's, I'm much more bullish about treatment. So people who do get it, if they can get tested early, um, uh, there's a lot of interesting treatments on the market now. We'll be better at protecting our vulnerable populations and we will live differently. We will think about how we interact with each other and work from home and mask and all of those things combined will, I think I wrote in that piece or that or in Twitter, I wrote, you know, um, it won't seem normal, but it will get familiar. Then that's the next phase. Right. So and I need people. I mean, it's important that people begin to get their head around that because I do worry. And this comes up with schools. I do worry or I hear it. It's not even I worry. You know, our kids aren't going back till there's a vaccine. I was like, well, then your kids are not. I mean, we can't live like this. So we'll figure out ways. Now, maybe it's too early because of the darn administration not focusing. We're we're raging out of control right now. But eventually we'll we'll get it together. Yeah. Yeah. You you mentioned schools, too. And just you have such an interesting perspective on it as as a parent, as a professor, but also as someone you're advising the state of mass on some of their reopening plans, too. Right. Yeah. So, like, what do you think the fall looks like? looks like either here in Massachusetts or, you know, elsewhere in the country where things are still kind of raging out of control. So I do think it's different. And I think this is once again, the Trump binary issue, right? It's like all schools are opening or they're closed. You know, it's like, no, no, no. Each jurisdiction. So I think New England's in pretty good shape. I I hope that we try some hybrid model here in Massachusetts at the very least. I, but I don't know, like, I mean, uh, Governor Baker also went to phase three with bars, which I'm not getting. I've been very supportive of him, but I I close all the bars. Like I, I, I see. So I do think in, in, in various jurisdictions, you will be able to open up with some hybrid model. And, and a hybrid being some days you're in class, yeah, some so, days it's, it's remote. Yeah. So the goal is de-densification. Yeah. We, we do know that you can return, just looking at Europe, we can return to school if we limit the number of interactions. This is just a numbers game. Yeah. And it would require masking and lots of sort of healthy building aspects of you know, how do you clean buildings. And it would mean modified schedules and and probably not sports. I mean, we have to prioritize, like, love my sports, but, you know, we got to prioritize the the reading. And it may also be we want to prioritize K through five, Mm. right, where we know uh, that both the the virus is unlikely to spread, but also uh, where we know that the the contact is probably more important because our older kids can are getting contact through different means. Um, it's not ideal because there's a digital divide, but it's certainly not as isolating as K through five. So there's going to be all sorts of different creative ways, and I've been pushing for people to think creatively. But I did, you know, I'm stepping on the third rail. People are understandably emotional about it. This is you know one of those arenas in which, you know, I get used to the ad hominem attacks and stuff because I think people, I think, I think because people are so angry at the fact that we did not treat schools as a critical infrastructure, that we did not invest in opening them as we would with 
an electrical grid or yeah. a water system, right? And or bars and, and so, retail, even or bars, know? right? Yeah, and that's because we just didn't conceive of schools in the way that we now see them, which yeah. is they are absolutely critical infrastructure for our kids and our working parents and and our nation, right? I mean, in other words, you can't have a functioning nation if the schools are closed too long. Right. So that's sort of where we are right now. My my mind is, you know, if you said how many schools would open up three weeks ago, what percentage of schools in the U.S., I would have said it would probably be close to 50 or 60 percent. I'm probably down to 20 or 30 percent just because this thing is raging. Yeah. As you say, it's a numbers game. You got to look at the numbers and just yeah. make make a smart choice based on that. Uh, I want to ask you about sort of we touched a little bit on it, but CNN and just sort of yeah. how those appearances have changed, um, you know, oh. you you appearing on their network like what. So they, they sent you a kid at some point early on. Right. And just yeah, sort of, they did. Yeah. yeah, you read that. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so basically that that night I told you about with with the global town hall with yeah. Sanjay Gupta and Anderson Cooper. The next morning I get a call and they said, go home. So I think CNN was beginning to realize that they were going to do work from home. And they said, we'll send you a kit. Uh, normally when I'm in, in Cambridge, I have, there's a studio at the Kennedy school and there's a studio in West Newton, about 10 miles from my house through a company called video link, which is just basically, you know, that's just a facility that yeah. CNN doesn't own it, but they, partner with them and my makeup person meets me there whatever so instead they mail me a kit without sort of perfect instructions and so I, it took me a while to get my lighting right and um and various other things like that um but eventually got it together and it's interesting because this is and I you know this is not ego or anything. I think it's just, this is predominantly a medical story. And so they have got lots of doctors on and then they'll, you know, I'll be on anywhere from, you know, five to 10 times a week, you know, that, uh, you know, that they want the sort of homeland or preparedness planning aspects of it. Uh, but, you know, this has really been run by both new and old CNN medical analysts who yeah. I think are doing a great job. I think, I mean, I'm a huge fan. You know, you hit like, I'll be wa like walking down the street and you hear people say things like, and then Sanjay said, like, he's their best friend, like, <laughs> you know, um, which I think is great to yeah. have that kind of voice, especially for a network that, you know, has had its share of, you know, criticisms. So they nailed that. I had a, girlfriend looks through the mirror she's a documentary filmmaker it looks through sorry the, the the window and she uh helped me with the lighting and then I learned to do my own makeup and and I brought the kit here we're we're at a we're at the beach about 90 minutes from Cambridge so I brought the kit here and we set it up and I've done about four or five hits from here already and it works pretty well. And I think people are used to seeing us like this. Like in other words, like I think that this is going to change the nature of cable news. Like it was quite, I mean, just from a monitor, I mean, you know this in terms of content and how much it costs and stuff. Sure. For me to go to a studio in, in Boston, right? When I'm in New York, it's easy because they have the facilities there. So they have a car pick me up. They have to rent a space at VideoLink. They have to get makeup and then they, you know, whatever the cost of the hit itself is. Yeah. So in my mind, that's probably a couple thousand dollars, right? I know how much makeup is probably, you know, maybe fifteen hundred, sixteen hundred dollars Yeah. for, for five or hit. six minutes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For like literally if, if you're lucky. Yeah. Right. And so now they can call me at seven twenty and say, can you get on at 10? There's no build up. There's no, can we get a studio? There's literally it's yeah. And then, so I think 
now that everyone's used to seeing us at home and there's, you know, rate my Skype room and all that <laughs> stuff, I think uh, I think we're in a better place. Yeah. To wrap it all up, I guess the last uh, the last thing that I'm it's it's lurking at the back of my mind yeah. and it's it's freaking me out a little bit. I want to get your take on it of just sort of I feel like November is the deadline in all this that like, yeah. you know, there's going to be an adult and, you know, by January, you know, hopefully there'll be a President Biden and, and it'll be a different administration and things will be different. But I thought that way in 2016, too. And I think yeah. a lot of us got surprised. What what do you think the prospects of a Trump reelection look like? And what does that mean for sort of this hmm. haphazard response that just like I, I can't imagine this continuing at least just the the the, uh, yeah. the response to the pandemic. I can't imagine that piece of it continuing on much longer. Like what happens if we have another four years of this? I don't know. I mean, I think I mean, I, I think it's as bad as you worry in the sense that everything will be unleashed. He'll have the 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 republican party will be transformed the courts will be transformed and he'll view it as n not a you know that this was just the media focused on some bad news and yeah. so but as i said the american public is proving itself pretty smart through this right i mean in other words if you you know this is a school thing that i don't get like apparently they're pushing opening schools the administration because they want to get the white suburban female vote back and yeah. mothers really want their kids in school i was like Okay, I know those women, right? Those are the security moms. Yeah. They're the most cautious people in the world. I was right. like, who's done that demographic? They don't, I mean, they're very nervous about sending their kids back in this environment. You know, and older people are turning against him because they think he doesn't care. So, I mean, there's a lot of variables um, that are at work here that are, you know, I'm hoping lead to a, a Biden presidency because yeah. I, I don't I don't know how this unfolds either way. So I do know how it unfolds and it's not a pretty sign. Yeah. But I mean, you know what I mean, of just sort of that was that same feeling in 2016 was just with with every ridiculous charge and, you know, every crazy vitriolic statement. It was at least for me, it was like people can't keep buying this, really. Like they, they can't. Yeah. People are seeing through this. And then, you know, election night, it was like, oh, I guess enough people didn't <laughs> or liked it or whatever. And that, you know, I don't know. I just I, I, I hope the polling is right. I hope people are waking up. And uh, yeah, because we need we need some leadership on this and. Like you said, it's absent that we've all sort of ad hoc tried to figure it out. And hopefully, if nothing else, that piecemeal piece continues, right? I think that's right. I mean, I think and it turns out that Americans do think about life, right? I mean, in other words, that that is a priority in the protections of their communities and um, and the president's lack of interest and lack of focus and lack of competency finally has come to haunt him. All right, there we go. Juliet Kayyem. Yeah, that last question has been gnawing away at me for a couple of weeks now. I just feel like we're back at that place that a lot of us, I think, were at in 2016 of looking at polls that were all trending in a positive direction, thinking that there was no way that this, you know, TV carnival barker could become the president. And I just remember that sinking feeling on election night realizing that enough Americans thought this was a good idea. And now here we are, three and a half years later, just dealing with it, just figuring it out. I guess it's on us now, though. I guess we as citizens, as Juliet said, just have to have to rise up and take care of ourselves and don't count on a, a centralized federal response in any way, financially, logistically. We're in it for ourselves. 
It's a scary time. On that note, uh, thank you for tuning in. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Leave me a note. Let me know what you think. Let me know who you want to hear from next. New shows every Monday and Thursday. Make sure you subscribe. Get the latest episodes in your feed. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll talk to you on Monday. Stay safe.